This is The Culture. Hello, and welcome back to the Cinema Wave podcast, where we talk about all the newest and greatest things happening in film and television. Today is a very special episode because we are talking about what everybody is talking about, and that is Barbenheimer, a.k.a. Barbie and Oppenheimer. We're very excited for this conversation, but before you tune into that, make sure that you follow us on all our social medias. Um, on Instagram, we are at Cinema Wave Media as well as at underscore Culture Wave Media. And be sure to check us out on TikTok at Cinema Wave Media as well. Um, I am one of your hosts for this episode, Darian Scalamoni. I am joined by Liz Seiko. Hey. And also producer Zach Miller. Howdy. <laughs> All right. Let's jump right into it. Let's so, go. What are we talking about? Let's talk about Barbie first. Okay. Um, I wore pink in honor of the lovely film directed by Greta Gerwig with an all-star cast. Of course, Margot Robbie playing Barbie. Um, one of the Barbies, I should say. Ryan Gosling playing the main Ken, but there's tons of other Kens in the film as well. Yeah. Um, so first reactions. Uh, we'll start with you, Liz. Your thoughts on the film. I would not change a single thing. I think it is a perfect movie from opening to ending. Um, and I just can't wait to talk about this. I'm also excited to talk about this movie. Um, there's a lot in this film that I really, really, really loved. Um, I don't think it hit me the same way that it hit you, but I'm excited to get into a deeper I know. Uh, and in-depth conversation. <laughs> but before we do that, Zach, your quick thoughts before we jump into the in-depth conversation. I did really like Barbie. Um, it was it exceeded my expectations. Um, uh, my expectations were already pretty good with it going in, given the cast and Greta Gerwig behind it. But I I think um, it definitely hit different marks that I didn't expect it to. So it really surprised me in that way, and I really came out of the theater enjoying it. So yeah, back to you. <laughs> All right. So let's start with. Uh, the journey that this film went yeah, on, let's right? Start, let's start from the beginning. So this movie was um, produced by Mattel, which is the toy company that creates the Barbie dolls, created the Barbie dolls back in, when were Barbies created? Do we know? Ooh, ooh, let's A little let's fun fact to start 60s, us off. The 60s? 50s, 60s. So, Barbie um, first doll came out in, on March 9th, 1959. Okay, very, very close. Um, and fun fact, the first Barbie was wearing was in the black and white striped outfit that the opening shot sequences. of Margot Robbie's Barbie is wearing. Mm. So okay. awesome. that's great. I, I love, love that. that. The, uh, yes, the authenticity yeah. of that is awesome. Um, so the film was originally um, was a Sony picture. Sony owned the rights to it. And the original interpretation of what Barbie was supposed to be was supposed to star um, actress and stand-up comedian Amy Schumer, Yes, uh, which would have been a completely different film entirely mm -hmm. i believe and we'll get back to that in a little bit but this version of the film which we finally get in 2023 it was hyped for a very long time and again as as you'll see in the title of this video barbenheimer is a big part of that because of the campaign on social media and the remarkable marketing that this film had since its inception Huge. but um greta gerwig directs uh one of the only and well-deserved uh female directors to ever be nominated for best director at the academy awards uh, her first film was Lady Bird, mm -hmm. big indie starring Cherisha Ronan. Um, then she did the Little Women remake, mm -hmm. which uh, I love that movie yeah. so much. And then Barbie is the third film she uh, has done. She co-wrote it with her partner, 
who is another acclaimed filmmaker in his own right, Noah Baumbach. Mm-hmm. If you guys don't know, he did uh, Marriage Story. It's probably the biggest movie he did. Um, and Margot Robbie was cast in the role once Mattel got the rights back. Um, other people just in the film really quick, just to go over. Before well, I we do want to add one thing to that. So not only was Margot Robbie cast, but she actually was the one who reached out to Mattel and was like, I want my production company to be on this oh, and yes. to produce it. So she had her production company, Lucky Chap, kind of spear this into existence. And then once she was on it, um, I think that's when Greta, uh, what I was reading was Greta came on as the writer and then eventually once the script kind of was getting a little bit more solidified was when Greta was like, okay, I'm also going to direct this as well. Okay. Um, so Margot was, she, she did this. She made this happen in the beginning. She and, did. Yeah. I really respect and love too for her first uh, big budget film to be something that's not in like the comic book realm or something that's like, again, like one of those tentpole type mm-hmm. of things like Jurassic Park or doing something that is like, again, Barbie is an, is an IP, right? But it's making a wholly original idea within this very meta movie. Um, Just going over the cast list really quick. Some of the other Barbies and Kens that I'm sure you guys have recognized. By the way, if you guys just want to give a quick, we are going to go into spoilers at some point. We will remind you when that happens Mm -hmm. because this is a very in-depth discussion on both Barbie and Oppenheimer. So you've been warned ahead of time. Um, Margot Robbie, like we said, is, is the titular character of Barbie. The other Barbies in the film are Issa Rae. Kate McKinnon, Alexandra Shipp, uh, Emma Mackey from uh, Sex Education, uh, Harry Neff, who was one of the, I think, only standouts from The Idol, which we've talked yes, about. Yes, literally. Um, Sharon Rooney. And then um, those were like the main Barbie. And then Dua Lipa has a very small part as a Barbie as well. In terms of the Kens, we have Ryan Gosling, who's the the lead Ken. But we also have Simu uh, Liu from Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. Kingsley Benadir, uh, Scott Evans, Nakuti Gatwa who uh, is also from Sex Education, and then uh, a really quick uh, Ken Merman cameo from uh, the one and only John Cena. Which was incredible in itself. And total- I didn't know that he was in it as a cameo. Yeah, and I think that they were talking about the reason they were able to do that was because Margot and John Cena know each other from um, The Suicide Squad, which James Gunn directed. Oh, okay. He played Peacemaker. She played Harley Quinn. So that was cool that they were able to collaborate yes together. him him popping out of the water as a merman was it was, was peak cinema <laughs> i would say um so just a quick question too for you liz in terms of let's talk about the overall story of the film what were some some what were some of the reasons why you loved this film as much as you did i just think that this film um Okay, so like, let's talk about the story. So we're going to get into a little bit of spoilers now because I'm going to start talking about the actual, on paper, if you were reading this script, what it would come off as versus what visually came to be. So um, the actual storyline is that there's this Barbie land world that it's connected to the real life world. And these Barbies that live there are kind of humanized versions of the Barbies that people in... Um, real life are playing with and so what happens is Margot Robbie's uh, character eventually starts malfunctioning and she goes to kind of what what they call um, weird Barbie weird Barbie that's Kate McKinnon's character (laughs) who who she I can't even name a better casting than her as weird Barbie Mm. it was perfect I think she leaned into it incredibly um, and just gave us everything that we could want from it 
Um, I also think it's such a great homage because, I mean, I don't, have, did you guys play with Barbies at all growing up or like know anybody that like, did you have sisters that like grew up with them at all? I did not. I had girl cousins that played with Barbies. Okay. I was more of a wrestling action. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys that you damage your Barbies when you're younger. <laughs> My sisters and I, we would cut their hair. It would be chaos we'd draw on them to give them like nail polish we draw it on their faces to give them blush and like makeup and then we'd get like give them baths and like destroy them and so with weird barbie it was just such a great moment to be like oh my gosh yes like that is actually what happened in childhood like with these dolls it wasn't just like oh my god i love my barbie i want to take care of my barbie it's like no you you beat your barbie <laughs> like you put her through it and so i loved that moment but anyways um so she goes to weird barbie to be like what's going on with me i have flat feet uh like i'm not flying anymore my toast is getting burnt i'm mm -hmm. drinking like sour milk um and weird barbie explains that the connection to the real real world is um something's happening with the person that is playing with her specific doll and that in order to fix herself she needs to go and fix kind of the human that is playing with her and see what's going on and like reform their bond and their connection and so then it starts this incredible story of Margot going into the real world and then ryan gosling's ken following with her because he just is infatuated with her and wants to be like wants to be her superhero in a way and then it goes and follows them into the real world and um i think another note to say is that in barbie land they all are under the assumption that they kind of like saved the world mm -hmm. by bringing it's very much a matriarchy yes yeah and that they saved the world by bringing barbie into the world and being like we've shown that like women can rule and women can um, just run an entire country and world by themselves. So Barbie's coming expecting like the red carpet rolled out for her. People are going to be like, Oh my God, Barbie, like you saved us. Like you showed us what we can do. And she shows up in a world that is very patriarchal and um, she becomes very self-conscious and it's kind of like the veil is lift over her of being like, oh my God, I just came from a world that I was not aware of anything and now I am hyper aware of not only the people around me, but myself now. Um, and so that I think is an interesting point that we'll talk to more of. But then on the opposite end, it's Ken's like unveiling of seeing like, a world that is run by men versus a world that has he's been in Barbie land that's previously been run only by women. So then that goes into a whole different storyline, which we'll also get into. Um, and then it's the story keeps going into Barbie trying to find the girl. She ends up finding her. Um, there's a big surprise that the girl ends up not necessarily being the young girl that she finds, but it mm -hmm. ends up being her mom that is the person that played with the barbie the most and then they come back to barbie land to chaos unveiling because ken is trying to bring patriarchy ruling to barbie land and so i just think there's okay so i think this movie brought much more than anybody thought it was gonna bring mm -hmm. i think that a lot of people knew it was gonna be a fun film 
that was going to have good laughs, but I don't think people thought that it was actually going to talk into these big topics of um, uh, patriarchy versus matriarchy. And then also just life existence. Um, and also talking about like big corporation versus like regular people and how uh, big corporations just see people as money versus like everyday people are just trying to survive kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I loved it. But a lot to digest. A there. lot to digest. Lot I kind of just went it. on a rant, but I yeah. Um, so and then I want I definitely want to hear Zach's take as well. Um, so I think that a lot of a lot of what you talked about worked for me on like a holistic level. Like I really, really appreciated and loved uh, the care that was given to Barbie land mm-hmm. and just how different that felt yet. So big yeah. and so broad of a universe um, that those meta isms for the lack of a better term is what I really appreciated about the movie and kind of the world building that Greta was able to do. Um, and just, again, like the supporting cast, not only, I mean, again, Gosling and, and Margot Robbie are fantastic in the film. Yeah. Um, but all the other Barbies and Kens being able, and the production design in particular is able to make this feel like you're immersed in like, again, like you're playing with Barbies. And like, as someone that didn't play with Barbies, like I was like, Oh, this is exactly how I could imagine a young girl feeling and imagining in her own right. Um, playing with those dolls like yeah. at least when i when i was again like i talked a little bit but like when i was a child i used to play with wrestling action figures and i would like line them up and then i would imagine in my head like the moves that they would do yeah so like i was and i could like picture the ring and i could picture the moves being immersed in that world was something i really appreciated and i really enjoyed about the movie even the splintering that you talked about with barbie malfunctioning i was like oh this is this is a fun concept mm-hmm. i can really get behind this um, a lot of what happened in the real world and the, so I've been saying like the fish out of water storyline, um, didn't work for me partly because, um, I think that the whole corporate aspect that you were talking about is something that it, I understood what they were going for, but to me it was unnecessary for the movie that I wanted. So again, you have to, you have to take the movie as a whole, right? Like, what movie did you want? I wanted more of the metaisms like, and I, and I thought the beginning and the end of that movie. And I do think that the human element of it was important. I don't Mm -hmm. think that the fish out of water, water storyline should have been cut completely. I just thought that the movie started to drag in those moments more so versus the other moments. Really? Cause I feel like it wasn't even that long that they were in like LA and like the real world. Yeah. See, I felt like, again, to me, it's like, that's the whole, I, I could separate the movie into three acts by like Barbie land and then they go to the real world and then they go back to Barbie land. And that's act three to me. That's how it felt. Now, again, in terms of runtime, I don't have the exact minutes and and how much, how many minutes logged in the real world. Was there a specific scene or was it just in general, the moment that they got there? Well, yeah, we talked a little bit off camera about this, but, um, Will Ferrell has, we forgot to mention Will Ferrell's in this movie. Well, yes, he plays the president of Mattel. Um, and when, like, even the moment where Barbie goes to the school and she goes to um, talk to the little girl who she thinks it is, like, I really mm-hmm. like that moment. And again, just being able to interact with characters that felt grounded in the real world. And there are assholes and scumbags in the real world that, again, like you talked about with the corporations and yep. that kind of commentary, they do exist. Um, but there's an element of Will Ferrell just being someone that is a heightened actor in general. 
And I feel like, again, I do understand Greta was probably like, yeah, you're Will Fell, improv whatever you want. But to me, it hurt the movie and the, the, the real world aspects that worked for me were the more humanistic parts. Like when Barbie is sitting on the bench, we'll get into that scene in depth, yeah. but Barbie's sitting on the bench with the older woman and it's a very important scene. I know Zach wants to comment on it too. So we'll jump to him in a second, but those kind of moments really worked for me and it pulled the emotion out even as like, I, as a man, as mm -hmm. like a human being seeing that and the important connection that was Barbie and that old woman sitting on the bench that worked for me, the ridiculousness of the whole Mattel and like even the whole scene where they're chasing Barbie to me, like just didn't work. So all of that stuff, and it doesn't completely ruin the movie for me because again, and this sounds like it's negative, but I promise it's not. I really, really enjoyed the movie and I can't wait to talk about more of the positive aspects, mm -hmm. but that took me out of the movie at a time where I was so immersed in it that I was just like, Oh no, no, no. Go back to where you were. Like it, it took me out of the movie. But I, okay, I completely disagree. It's fair. Because, You're entitled to your opinion. Because I think that there had to be a in-between person to connect Barbie world and the real world. Because- they, You don't so, think America Ferrara's character didn't, did, like, I thought she was great in the movie. I think that she was great, but I don't think that she was the connecting part because they talk about how a Barbie before has already come into the real world and it didn't go well. And so, like, if we're talking at it from like a real life point of view, like the fact that a CEO knows that there's a different world that holds life Barbies, like they're not going to be a normal grounded person. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying, but I think that's what I don't like about the movie. I would have rather, I would have rather them be like, Oh, this is the first time we've had to deal with like, I don't know. Like it just didn't. But then I think the story becomes about this big event of like a first time Barbie coming to the world rather than focusing on the story of like, what is the purpose of Barbie? That again, going back to, I don't, I think that whole element of the story didn't need to be in the movie. Like, I think uh, that she could have just, she no. could have came into the real world, had the interactions with the humans found all that out. Like she didn't need to find that out because of his character. In my opinion, again, the, to be fair, the biggest moment that happens with the Mattel storyline is her sitting down and having a meeting with the woman who's portraying the woman who created Barbie, who is in a side room yeah. in Mattel's headquarters. She could have ran into that woman at any point during any chase sequence or anything. It, the whole Mattel part of it, in my opinion, just was so unnecessary and didn't need to be in the movie. I completely disagree. So I want to know what Zach yeah, thinks. Yeah, let's let's jump to Zach. I want to hear I want to hear Zach's opinion. I was gonna say, um, just unpacking it again, when hearing you guys talk about it, I think that um, the Mattel sequence, I do, I did like the Mattel sequence because I thought it was a little bit of this genetic ridiculousness that was coming from the real world into Barbie Land, mm -hmm. and it was so like Will Ferrell was great, like. One of my favorite parts was when they were trying to chase her down and he was like losing the key card. He's like, how are we going to get out of here? Like it was, it was just a genetic, like everybody is so ludicrous in their exaggerated um, antics. And then I also think um, it does play to the story a bit in the sense of, I think they're the bridge between 
the matriarchy and the patriarchy in a way because they kind of have their own idea of what a Barbie is and what it's supposed to represent, even though it's not 100% accurate. And I think that um, Margot coming to them and bringing light of or her realizing that this isn't what Barbie was and then she's like having those second thoughts. She's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go in the box and like be put your cage again because they do have a way of you know like if if there were no like if there was no female say in this movie it could just be completely like if we were to roll the clocks back again like 50 years how it could how this movie could have been made 50 years ago Mm -hmm. it would have been told from a male perspective of what yeah a barbie would be or what and the ideal woman would be which is kind of what um greta is recalling And she's like, that's the whole point of like how Ken discovers masculinity Mm -hmm. in his own way in that ridiculous fashion as well as like, oh, yeah, it's beer, horses. But it's so funny. Which is good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And which is what I love about it, too. Um, So they they have that heightened, exaggerated version of masculinity. But that was the point is because they want to show you both extremes, I think. And they want you to to land in the middle of what you define it as, Mm -hmm. which is the same thing. Um. I think uh, I think it was when the montage is happening towards the end as well mm. of I thought that was very touching, by the way, when they have the feeling of on film, there are little girls growing up everywhere again. And yep. however we define this Barbie is how they're going to see themselves and it is going to give them inspiration in um, their life and i what i think it was a line in the movie too it was like barbie's image is to give them the inspiration to grow up and be whatever they want to Mm -hmm. be and then also showing that this is now we're trying to reach that point of equal opportunity and getting to that perspective of like we need to be at this place and this is an opportunity now for young girls to make their way in the same things that men can do and then it wraps it up at the end of like there needs to be a balance between the two, between men and men and women. Um, but so now I just went into the whole psychology of the film. Out <laughs> of Mattel. But yeah, so th- I, I like the Mattel sequences because I, I think it was the the like the corporate like immediately when they get in the room, when Barbie gets in the room, she sees like 20 odd guys mm-hmm. in suits, pink ties. They're like, oh, no, we are representing the female brand. But then she's like realizing that they're slowly out of touch. Yes. So I, I, I think the the chase sequence is up for question of like the importance. And yes, I do agree. Like she just happened to stumble in that room of, with the same person that was convenient. But I did like how it was just as ridiculous in their headquarters um, compared to Barbie land. And then they go into the real world and it's more grounded. Interesting. But yeah, yeah see, like, I think, I think that, uh, by the way, thank you for all of that. Cause the, the, diving into the psychology of it, I, I think you've said it perfectly. Um, and again, like, I guess it's, I guess it's hard for me as someone who is watching the movie again and breaking up. It's not like I break up every movie by, acts Mm -hmm. right but when it's that i don't even know how to explain it 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 just felt very knee-jerk to me Mm. and i i really loved and appreciated where they were going with it and then it felt like it the movie got away from me in that in those moments and i i 
that upset me because of how much I enjoyed so many of the other elements of the film. So I don't know how else to explain it other than I just think that that like there were elements of the Mattel sequences that I did enjoy going back to what Zach said about the box. Like that was something that I really, that was a great visual representation and I'm like really happy they showed that again, like right before. And they did it in a creative way with, again, the way that the toys are made, right? Mm -hmm. They have the twisties. Yeah. Like trying to kind of lock her in a place. And she was like, no, something doesn't feel right. Like I appreciated sequences like that, but there was something about the whole corporate element of it. And then I think about, again, the movies produced by Mattel. Mm -hmm. And it's like they they did poke fun, but at the same time at the expense of also shoehorning their brand into the film which I just didn't think was fully necessary. So it, okay. which again, I think we just agree to disagree on I, like whether think we think we it's necessary to, yeah. because to me, it was those sort of moments that um, just took me out of the film completely versus um, the self-awareness in what Barbie land was. And again, even the matriarchal versus patriarchal, which we start to see the transitioning of that when they go into the real world and Ken going into the library and picking out books off the shelves that just say horses on and them. And truck. Yeah, and truck, truck. Which is hilarious. <laughs> and it's so funny and it's so stupid. But it's so great. Those kind of moments to me were were like good visual gags. And again, I guess I just disagree in terms of... But again, humor is all subjective too, right? So like a lot of the sequences with Will Ferrell, I was just like, I just don't think it's that funny. And I just wish it wasn't in the movie because it's... I don't think it's as funny as what they were crafting within the doll characters, so to speak. So I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, like this, this is the first time I feel like, and it, I guess it's not, a, it's weird because it's not a strong disagreement. There's so much about this movie that I really love. Um, I think it's also like, I think, I think that what Greta was getting at, at having him such, be such like a goofy over the top character is Barbie walks into this corporation thinking like, yes, I'm going to get to talk to the female CEO of Mattel that made this, made Barbies and like made us. And she walks in and it's a full room of just men who the CEO is like, is, is not the most intelligent person. And so when in her mind, she's like, Wait, why is the CEO this guy that has like pink drumsticks and is like pr playing around, but yet you don't have a single female in this room? Mm -hmm. And that's the critique on it too. It's yes, like, there we have like society. Society <laughs> has been used to um, you know men speaking for women, and I think that's that was the point yeah. she was trying to make. Is she's like, wait, what? This is a female product on paper. Why is this? only be well it's like you'd men. rather like what she's saying is that the patriarchy would rather have a very over-the-top like not intelligent man as a leader versus an intelligent female yeah that's a fair point so that i think is the take that she's trying to get at because if they did have a very like aware grounded male ceo who was like oh it's barbie we have to protect her like we have to like take care of her then I don't think you would have that contrast of what the Barbies are fighting for at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. We need Logan Roy as the Barbie CEO. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Could you imagine? No. <laughs> Holy crap. Just, oh my God. I'm visualizing that. Brian Cox with a pink tie. You're effing <laughs> pirates for Barbies. <laughs> I think that, um, I think that 
in terms of again just the whole like i think that i i fully understand what she was going mm-hmm. for i just think that even i i don't i feel like i connect more to the human element of when she gets to the real world and she's again and when she has those that the, all the monologues that america Ferrera delivers at the end of the film when they go back to barbie land with their daughter um are very powerful and are very real and mm-hmm. spoke volumes to being a perfect female voice for what I've, I mean, you can speak better on it than I can, but what females want to say, right. Yeah. And how it feels to be in this male dominated society. I thought that the relationship between Margot's Barbie and America Ferrara's character and her daughter worked really well for me. And that could have been it. Like if they went in the real world and they expanded more on that, versus the corporate element again i still think those essential central points of like meeting the older woman on the bench which is mm-hmm. before she even goes to the headquarters and again running into the creator of barbie at a random place when it feels very convenient as zach said all of those elements could still be within the film and it could be stronger having gotten rid of the corporate element of it but what but- do you think if they took out the corporate um, element would have been the driving force to get Margot Robbie Barbie back to Barbie World, Barbie Land. What is it? Barbie World, Barbie Land, Barbie Land, Barbie Land. Land. Yeah. So I guess. Uh, what I'm, do you think? I'm, like, so I'm trying to recall. Script, like just like script, like point wise. What do you think they could Greta could have written as the catalyst? Was all right. So I'm trying to recall. Forgive me for not being able to remember exactly. Is it that she in the real world? then gets to a point where she realizes that Ken. No, no. So they're driving around and they're in that car chase because um, she's trying to escape from, from Mattel. Mattel yes. And they're like, we don't know where to go. Like they're chasing us. And she's like, oh, I know where to go. And so she's like, we just have to get on roller skates right now and go back to Barbie land. Okay. So, and the que- the question you just asked me is the driving force. If they got rid of the corporate element of Mattel, what mm. do you think would have been that driving force then to bring them back to Barbie land? Well, you just explained that they just go to Barbie land just to escape. But what would they Regardless. escape if they took it? What would you replace? It, what would you replace yeah. if they took out the corporate? I just don't think you need an escape sequence. I think again, like she's going to the, re- she's, you got to remember, she's going to the real world to have this relationship or the main driving focus in the, like the inciting incident, I guess, right? Is that she's going into the real world to fix herself because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to feel all these things that we talked about where she feels like she's yeah. like splintering in her own Barbie land, right? So then she tries to have this relationship with this little girl. We find out that it's not her. She's actually like the one that is, it's not her Barbie. Yeah. It's and it's mom. her mother's. And that you find out later on when they're in Barbie land that she's the one. And then they have that serious connection. Right. So it's a corporate commentary that is in the movie and it's important. And I understood exactly what its relevance was, but I just didn't think it was necessary because again, her going back to Barbie land at that point is to take out Ken and his Mojo Dojo Casa house. No, it's to escape from the corporation. Cause she doesn't know that Ken went back like, with a total different mindset until she gets there. No, no, no. I, under, I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying like that. I, I don't know if I would have made the central point then to escape Mattel. I, it, to me, it would have been to have this human connection with, at this point, she mm-hmm. still thinks it's a little girl. And then she also has this human connection then with America Ferrara's character, which mm-hmm. is another sort of um, climactic point. Like, I don't think the film has one climax. I think it has multiple climaxes. Yeah. And you kind of see it towards the end of the movie when, even like at the end when they trick all the Kens to get Barbie land back to a matriarchy, 
there's a very central important thing at the end of the film where Barbie is like, no, Ken, like you have to find yourself Mm -hmm. and it's not about you trying to chase after me. Like you're your own person. Very much how she found herself with the um, group element and like working together as a like female empowerment. Yeah. So to me, again, I just don't know if it's necessary. Like, I guess it's necessary to what this film is. And I just don't know if I liked that part of it. Okay. If that makes sense. I will, I will calm down now with this, (laughs) with this topic of Barbie. Well, you were talking about the um, production design specifically, but Mm -hmm. do you want to also talk about the other filmmaking aspects, like especially the Easter eggs that they included? Oh yeah. So do you, do you want to, do you want to touch upon that? Uh, yeah. Well, there was, um, so we were kind of, uh, the three of us looking at some of the references that Greta Gerwig decided to add to it. And the biggest one is the opening, um, and it's 2001 Space Odyssey. And almost shot for shot, it is exactly um, Stanley Kubrick's epic from the 60s. And um, it was such a great comedic parody on just how the birth of Barbie changed the world or the image mm-hmm. of, like, being a woman and just playing with a doll, like <laughs> literally throwing out all their old dolls, breaking them. Um, there, what were the other ones we were talking about? The references. So, I, yeah. so Greta does a lot of like other film references um, in her uh, in some of the shots, and so some of them are um, with the Ken dancing seed coins. It's a reference to singing in the rain. And a little bit of Grease. Um, and then in a few shots, it's a reference to Wizard of Oz, especially when uh, Margot Robbie is driving away from Barbie Land. It kind of looks like Oz is in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also when she's driving through the Field of Flowers, it kind of looks like that Field of Flowers that they're walking through um, in Wizard of Oz. The Matrix, when... So there's a moment when Weird Barbie is saying like, do you want the high heel shoe or the Birkenstock? <laughs> and it's a great, it's a great scene and a great incredible. visual gag. It's also just a very self-aware movie because she's like, do you want the high heel or the Birkenstock? And Margot Robbie's character is like the high heel. Absolutely. Like I want that yeah, one yeah. rather than being like, I need to go figure out my life. Like she's like, no, no, no. I want to go back. Um, she's like, no, you want and then she's like, no, 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 you have to take this. Like there's no, let's do it again. She's like, high heel. What is the, what is the line she says? She goes, I, I offered you, I had to give you both because I had to give you an option, but the option doesn't really exist. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. it's like so unbelievably yeah. self aware and, like, and no, hilarious. No. She's like, you have to take it. Yeah, like, yeah. There's no option actually. And she's like, so we're gonna do it again. <laughs> um, but so that's a reference to the Matrix of like the blue pill or red pill. Like, do you want to forget everything or do you want to take this pill and then enter into a new world and like be able to start seeing things for as they really are? Um, which obviously her character doesn't have that option, but she mm. goes and onto it. And then there's when they first get to uh, like California, there's um, Ken and Barbie end up changing their clothes uh, and they're both in like these cowboy outfits. And so that's a play on like Midnight Cowboy um, in one of those scenes, which it's just also the costumes in this show, oh in this film, yeah. impeccable. Yeah. Spot on everything that I could have dreamed of. Exactly. I th- I, again, I think it goes back to so much of how much care is given into the world mm-hmm. that Greta created with this take on what Barbie is. Right. 
I really, I mean, again, I, the set photos emerged a really long time ago of them rollerblading in the middle of California in those like ridiculous, wacky, like 80s, like neon. Yeah. And it's so funny. And that whole sequence is great where they finally enter the real world. Um, but yeah, in terms of the cinematic references, I, I really love how impactful and obvious it is that cinema plays such a big part into Greta Gerwig's life. Mm -hmm. And as someone that was an actor turned director, um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. She's like an amazing example of someone that has such a fantastic artistic ability and mind and appreciation for movies in general that she's able to take an idea or again, like a visualization from previous historic and impactful movies and television and put her own spin on it to make it perfectly fit in the mold of what she created. Yeah. Um, I do think, again, the 2001 Space Odyssey one is one that we've known about for a while, too, because it's in the trailer. Yeah. The first trailer for the film. It's so good. Um, and, th there, again, there's so much to love about this film. Like, even the music musical sequences. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dance the Night Away sequence early on in the movie, I think, is laugh-out-loud funny. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's again that's a big part of how drives us into the inciting incident right she just, that's the moment she's like dancing it's a throwaway line you think but then it's very real because she's like yeah. anyone ever dream about dying and then you realize that's the first time that barbie not everything is okay with yes. barbie as it has been and she starts to become a little bit more self-aware because you see margo's acting is beautiful in this too because she is in the early scene she's trying to stay in her like naive barbie mentality but she is like wait a minute why did i just say that to myself and yeah. like to everybody and like i'm just gonna kind of ignore this but also maybe i shouldn't um in just a second she gives you everything so i it it's so good but also the writing greta's writing made me laugh out loud honestly at mo i haven't really laughed this much at a movie in a while i feel like comedies have been very stagnant lately and I know people would probably wouldn't say that this is a straight up comedy necessarily, but I think it's probably one of the funniest movies that's come out this year. I would agree. And I think the fantastical elements of it also make it really funny. Yes. Um, there hasn't been a lot of really great straight comedies. Um, and I think that's where this transitioning that we're seeing sort of in Hollywood with these, like, again, like there's not a lot of these, balls to the wall throw everything out there comedy mm -hmm. and i think that it actually lends itself better especially especially for this movie because in greta's writing too there's there's just such an authenticity to her characters and the way that she writes them and i think it's very interesting that she co-wrote this with noah baumbach mm -hmm. who's her, her longtime partner and um he's very indie and he's very about i mean again he's written and directed some of the most like hard-edged dramatic heartbreaking. emotional heartbreaking yeah. films i mean like marriage story is the obvious one the squid and the whale is like a very very well, i love that movie but it's a very serious movie about divorce mm -hmm. and the two of them being able to like i i imagine them just sitting and writing this film together and laughing at how ridiculous it is but at the same time being able to and it's not even shoehorning because there's a there's a very obvious intent on having these heart-wrenching or um tender moments throughout mm -hmm. the film i saw it with my girlfriend she was like in tears at the end and it was for so many reasons but again that element of um i want to go back to the scene at the bus stop mm. which we touched on a little bit um she's able to in her writing going back to what you were saying yeah greta is able to 
show so much and tell so much by doing so little in that scene. And Margot's performance in that scene alone is is remarkable. I, first of all, I think she's. I agree with what you were saying. She's fantastic in this film. I don't. I can't visualize anybody else playing the part. Yeah, I really can't. not with this script. No, which I do think. I mean, Greta wrote it with Margot in mind mm-hmm. because she they teamed up. Um, so yeah, this script I can't picture anybody else. Yeah, and I think that the emotion that comes out of that scene at the bus stop, just with a glance, a single glance, and just saying that this woman is beautiful. And a moment where so many of us, I feel, want to say that to other people all mm-hmm. the time, but we don't say it enough. And again, just bringing like the tear to her eye, like there's an emotional core to that that I think only Greta is able to grasp and display the way that she does it in this film. Yeah, and uh, I think Greta's come out and said um, that uh, they wanted to cut that scene initially, and she really fought for it because she said, like, I won't know what this film is about if that scene gets cut and i think it's also because that's the first moment that you really start to see that change the psychological change in barbie where she starts to realize like oh i've been living in this bubble of just youth and beauty and like there is beauty as life goes on and like i won't ever change if i stay in barbie land i won't ever see life uh evolve i'll just stay where i am and nothing will change so I think that's then the catalyst for her kind of going on this hunt of trying to find meaning and like what is she supposed to do and kind of the veil has been lifted from her and does she want to cover her eyes back and go back to the mental state that she was in of just being some naive person that doesn't question or does she want to take that leap into life and really start to just go into a world that she doesn't know but she's excited about. Zach, did you have anything on that sequence in particular? um i was uh yeah i was just gonna kind of add to what you guys were saying but um i can't believe that the studio would want a scene like that cut from something that is trying to be the film is not just about the humor it's about those important messages that greta of all people is trying to um get across and it was essential to you know how we see ourselves how we see other people um and then having that come from a doll as a character um they're supposed to be the perfect image and then barbie is realizing that the world is not as perfect as she imagined um after several things coming into the world but um yeah it was it was just so important um that that scene among some of the other scenes like the montage um the monologue toward mm-hmm. the end um that that was in the movie and i don't know if we mentioned it too but the old woman at the bus stop was the daughter of of, of the barbie uh, creator, creator the yeah. barbie. yes yeah. Mm-hmm. okay so yeah well if, the fa- if we didn't mention it already just letting our viewers know so that was cool that they incorporated her into the movie mm-hmm. too keeping a little bit of the legacy in the family but yeah so i thought that was a very important scene and it definitely needed to happen for sure. Do we want to dive into uh, the Kendom of it all? I, Ryan Gosling, made this movie so much better than I could have imagined. Like, I, I, he exceeded my expectations. And I think because he really was just like, I'm going to be Ken. I'm going to do it all the way. And I'm not going to leave anything left for anybody to want. 
Um, just yeah. What do you do? What do you guys think? I think that uh, him in particular, like especially the sequences when uh, Barbie Lynn turns into, uh, it is called Kendom, isn't it? And yeah. That what they call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, if it, almost any other actor plays that part, I think it comes off hokey. Yes. And I think that he does it in such a uh, again, it's a playful ridiculousness, but mm-hmm. there's also an element of it that is serious mm-hmm. and i think i think that both of them should get nominated i hope they both do, do margo and gosling i think gosling's part is obviously a little more showy because of the extremes like you, you margo's part and her role i think is more important essential and has a lot more depth to it yeah but well, I, she needed to be grounded in yes. order for the like heart of the story to actually come through mm-hmm. i would agree but I think that this is one of Gosling's better performances because of the extreme, the extreme nature that and journey he goes on as a character uh, that you see again from, I mean, like every line delivery to me is, is funny. Like, and it doesn't matter if he's yelling something ridiculous or like <laughs> early on in the movie, he's like, I'm thinking I'm staying over tonight. Yeah. And she's like, why would you think something like that? And just like, even something as little, and again, goes back to the writing and how brilliant the writing is for this movie, which uh, the, the, I don't know if you guys saw there on like a interesting campaign right now, early, early Oscar talks, whether they're going to um, go for adapted screenplay or original screenplay. I don't know exactly oh. why that is, but I know that uh, one of the films that they said suffered from this in the past was Lego movie. Um, because I guess it could technically be like Lego movie is another film that I think they went for original screenplay, but they could have gone for adapted screenplay because it's based on an IP, I think. Okay. Don't quote me on that. Okay. But they're contemplating it and I think I think Greta should go for original. Interesting. I think she should. I definitely think that she should because it's her original screenplay, but I think they have a better chance of uh, maybe not because one of the films we're gonna talk about is technically gonna be adapted. Yes. So I think that she should go for original just because I actually think I just think the writing in this film is incredible because she's not trying to be funny at any moment she's honestly just giving like real honest like things that happen in life and then they just happen to be funny because people are able to relate to them Mm -hmm. like one of i i don't know why but this like really stuck with me and just because it's it's so funny it's just real is when so all the barbies are like manipulated and they're trying to like unmanipulate them with like being uh like under like the ken spell or whatever it mm-hmm. is and so they're doing all the things like oh you need to pretend to be like uh bad at a sport so that they can help you but one of my favorite parts was like you need to ask them to explain the godfather yeah, to yeah. you and i <laughs> died so at that because <laughs> it just it's not a funny line like you if somebody said to you like Oh, like a guy's going to explain the Godfather to you. Like that's not necessarily a punchline, mm. but because I think so many people are able to relate to that in a sense that it becomes funny. I, I also think she was so aware, like the one line where she was like, when they're trying to make that connection of um, like Barbie doesn't feel pretty anymore. And then they say like, note for the producers, if you're trying to make this, like stick with the audience don't cast margot robbie Mm. which is just a level of awareness as a writer that in order to have that it makes the audience appreciate you more because you're like wow you don't think we're stupid like you know that we're on the same level as you Mm -hmm. which i just love and there's such a level of trust between the cast and the crew too Mm -hmm. that they're able to be playful in a moment like that 
And I love how you just touched upon being, um, again, the film is obviously self-aware. Very. Very, very mm-hmm. self-aware. But it doesn't it, it doesn't explain things to you in a way that it makes you feel stupid. We mm-hmm. had a conversation about this last night. Yeah. But I I can't stand films or tell or any piece of like conversation or anything mm-hmm. like that where someone tries to explain something to you to make you feel stupid. And I think that again, there's such a care given to the writing process. And writing I think is so important to Greta. Um, like maybe more than directing, like mm-hmm. the story is so essential to her. And that's why I think this film is a major win in, in terms of everything. Uh, Zach, what are your, what are your thoughts on um, Greta's whole take on this as a whole? And then if you want to dive into the box office of it all, cause I mean, a historic, Huge. historic first week for this film. We're not even at a week yet when we're recording this, but I mean, the film is breaking records the everywhere. Week, first weekend blew everything out of the water. Crazy. Yeah, uh, so just uh, based off the stats, um, opening weekend, um, this was also historic for many reasons, but uh, for Greta, this is her biggest opening film, the biggest uh, opening for any female director domestically, brought in $155.5 million. Yes, um, get it. Yeah, and it, <laughs> passed, it, it passed Captain Marvel, which was a couple years ago, Anna Bowden had brought in um 153 million dollars and not to cut you off but captain marvel is also not a wholly directed female film Mm because anna Bowden does films with uh i don't know if it's her part ryan fleck i believe is the other director but they co-direct on everything okay so this is a wholly female fronted directing job Mm -hmm. so yes yeah uh, um and then just you know trusting greta of all people too with um a female-led uh, image of Barbie was very important. I think it also proved that it, to its success. Like I think if you did take Margot and Ryan out of the equation, the performances would have been different. But mm-hmm. I think people still would have backed a Greta film from the start. Um, so this was a very important film for many reasons. We kind of went over. But it also received a 90% audience and critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, which I don't know if anyone expected it to be that high. I like, did. You did. You I did. did. I was looking. <laughs> I was probably predicting like a 75 to like 85 range or like maxing out at 85 um, just because I didn't know how critics would see it. Mm. But um, I mean, 90% is, is awesome. That's hundred percent fresh in my mind (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so great week at the box office um especially for going up at the same time against christopher nolan and oppenheimer and that was the whole Mm. social media which um, competition do you guys think that's what contributed to this being such a successful film its first weekend is that kind of like ooh, i gotta go do a double feature I think it contributed, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the sole reason that it did that well. And it actually made almost double the amount that Oppenheimer did. It, it's more of a commercialized movie than Oppenheimer is. Yeah. So, and and it's a comedy. It's a it's not fully family friendly, but it is. 
for the most part, a family-friendly movie, mm -hmm. and it's something people are familiar with. So I think it brought in a lot of money, and then they had big stars, big director attached. So I think the social movement aspect. I actually think the social movement aspect of it probably actually helped Oppenheimer a little more than Barbie. But I think that the 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 one thing I think we can all agree on is having movies that are not wholly original because again, Barbie is based on an IP and we'll get into a larger discussion about Oppenheimer in a little bit. And that's based on a real person, but there was such a cultural awareness of these two films um, facing off against one another mm -hmm. that it became a moment where there were, there was such a juxtaposition too between the two that everyone was like, wow, we finally get to go to the movies on one weekend where there are two wholly different movies mm -hmm. that have different ideas and different perspectives and we can dive in and it was like it i feel like awakened yeah by like this weekend at the cinema like just being able to see these two films um and going with different mindsets and having like great reactions to both of them um and i think again it, it paid off not only financially but again as zach just touched on a little bit the critic score and the audience score at a 90% is huge on Rotten Tomatoes. But I think both of these films critically are going to prosper. I think there's going to be a lot. These films are going to be in the conversation from now until Oscar season, which I guess is in like February. Yeah. So like we're, we're going to be doing this for a while. And I think the rewatchability to these movies are going to continue to gross a lot of money. I want to go see Barbie again. I do too. Um, and I, the other thing with Barbie again has made more money than Oppenheimer. But it's a movie that is a lot more digestible than Oppenheimer because of its runtime and because of the playfulness and the humor to it. Um, so I think that I think that it, I, I did think it was going to end up around that, that score. And I'm glad that it did. Cause I think it's a really great movie. Um, is there any other last minute things we want to talk about? Do we want to give scores? I will say going into this discussion, I had a lower score and now it's higher. Ooh, so okay. I still stand okay. by my statements, but it is, it is a higher score than I originally intended. What's your score? You started my off. score for Barbie would probably be an 8.4. You did go 10. higher. I did go you higher. You told me something lower yesterday. I did. I did. So I'm at, I'm at an 8.4 for Barbie. I think that just really quick, just touch Cause we're going to talk about this movie. Like I said, for a very long yeah. time coming into Oscar season, I'm hoping for, Writing and directing nominations, hoping for a Best Picture nom, based on what I've seen so far. Um, Margot Robbie mm -hmm. and uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, the sound, uh, the soundtrack. I guess like a I love song. It. I don't think I don't think the score because it's very poppy, and I think that's the point. I don't think it's gonna get like a score nomination or anything, um, because they're. I mean, they're two different things. Yeah, I so, hope so. I love the soundtrack, but it's different. Soundtrack is technically different than yeah, score. I guess. Yeah, I, I think Dua Lipa's song will will yes. get a nod. I I, I the, think I think uh, yeah. I'm just Ken. I think I'm gonna agree with Liz. I think I'm just Ken probably gets the original song nomination. Oh. That's that my, just that's from what, what I, I see on social media, that people are like, yes, give it to me. And like, I that's do again. I I think they want the Academy is definitely gonna want ryan gosling up on stage performing because that. then they can get more views exactly. like they need people to come back yeah. to watching the shows yeah and then production design again i hope it gets a nom um so i'm hoping you know i i really really love the movie i think greta will get directing too yes did i not say that i, thought I don't i, I don't know if you got to i hope yeah. i i definitely yeah. hope and think she deserves a best director nomination um again if she goes adapted screenplay i think it's going to be i think it's going to be tough mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of a lot of films 
Like uh, we've thought uh, past lives will get an original, and that's not original it's screenplay. Original. Past lives is is gonna have that. That's a, that's that's two different mediums right there. And then adapted at least Oppenheimer, I think, and then uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. But I mean, anytime Scorsese's writing a script, it's it's usually up there. So, but anyway, let's go, um, Liz, to what you thought. I have no complaints, not a single thing that I could honestly, I really wouldn't change a single thing about this movie. So I'm going to give it a 10. Whoa, big score. I loved it. I loved everything. (laughs) Wow. And I usually don't. I usually am like 9.5, but 10. No, I love that. Stick with it. I'm going to be facetious to Darian. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Oh. (laughs) Okay. I give it like. Yeah, like an 8.5, 8, 8.5. Okay, yeah. wow. Well, is it 8 really... or is it 8.5? Yeah. Well, well, I ha- I just rated it, um, well, because I, was- I didn't have the 0.5, 0.4s, like, but so now, oh, okay. like, but yeah, I'll give it. Do you, do you go, you go that way? You go like a half or a full? Uh, you don't give anything? Not, not really, no, like, well, with, um, the... Like letter struggling. <laughs> I'm now. I'm switching the button. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> I would because letterbox is out of five, hmm. so I I did four out of five, so that's like eight out of ten on IMDb. Round like it up to nine. So sure, let's give it. Let's a give it a All nine. Right. All right. Yes. Okay. Um. Okay. Should we dive right into Oppenheimer or? All right. So we're back. We're talking about. Oppenheimer, the latest film from the Christopher Nolan filmography, starring Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer, the renowned scientist who created the atomic bomb. Bomb, bomb, bomb! <laughs> All right. So much to talk about with this film. Again, a complete polar opposite of what Barbie is, uh, but perfect for all audiences to go to the movie. So before we jump into this again, just another message to all of you watching this. I'm hoping you're watching this because you've seen both movies. Cause we're going to dive into spoilers for this film as well, but go to the movies, see Oppenheimer, see Barbie, see more movies as much as I love the MCU. And I love comic book films and all the big tent poles. We need some more voices right now in film and television, really probably more film right now. Um, and both of these films, I think all three of us can commend and talk about how great we love, like we love these movies. Mm-hmm. So let's dive right in. Uh, this is a movie that, uh, very different than the inception of what Barbie was a movie that was, uh, gestating for a really long time. Uh, Oppenheimer and Christopher Nolan in general, as a filmmaker is someone that just comes up with an idea and he writes the script and then he just goes to work. There's yeah. not a lot of. Uh, reporting ahead of time on what he's going to be doing next because he usually doesn't know what he's going to be doing next. The only time that um, he doesn't basically, he's not one of those filmmakers where as he's wrapping up one film, he's already like one foot is out the door. He's already thinking about the next project. Mm -hmm. He's not that type of filmmaker uh, except probably when he was doing the dark Knight trilogy uh, with Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. So, but he's a long time away from that. Um, His more recent films uh, before this, he did remind me, Zach, what did he do right before this? Tenet. He did Tenet right before this, which was released during COVID. And then before that, he did Dunkirk, correct? Dunkirk. Yes. Dunkirk, yeah. So um, let's dive right in. Uh, I'm going to start with Zach because Zach is our resident Christopher Nolan fanboy, which yes. we love that about him. 
Um, but let's don't talk. Don't let us down. I guess Zach. I am. Don't yeah. let us let's down. Let's talk about Oppenheimer. We're gonna, well, coming off of our uh, box office talk with uh, Barbie as well. So um, the numbers were posted for those two. This was, um, I think, the third weekend in movie history that it boasted a cumulative return of about 230 for the two films combined right the two films combined. i think it's the fourth yeah. highest grossing uh film weekend yeah. domestically ever yeah i believe yeah. it is it is a lot of money that they raked in and oppenheimer came away with 80.5 million this is nolan's third largest opening ever and if you take batman out of the equation entirely this is his biggest opening ever so it's a huge movie it's it's had a lot of hype for a while I was um, a little surprised that it did make this much money on opening weekend, mm. given the runtime of it. I thought that three hours would dissuade a lot of people from seeing it, um, just a, as a general audience member. Yeah. But um, I was really happy to see that it made that much money. And the budget was surprised. For me, this is very surprising because it's at only $100 million. And especially that it was shot on 70 millimeter IMAX, which is the highest quality that you can get in film technology at the moment. It is the most expensive film stock that you can use for, and then also they had to do a three hour film. So that's who knows how many hours of footage that they actually yeah. amassed. Well, the film, it, yeah. I don't know if you saw it, the film actually only took 47 days to film, which is insane. It's a very, for, for a movie, at this caliber, this big, this broad of an idea, and where basically what it does is it encompasses a whole man's life. Yeah. Uh, for it to only take 47 days and with this remarkable cast we'll get into, that's unbelievable. Um, yeah, and then I, I agree. It is really unbelievable. When you say 40, like 47 days is not a lot to some people, but it's when you're talking about movie making and then to make it to this skill level – that is pretty incredible. So this uh, this film is also based off of the book American Prometheus, which does um, encapsulate most of Oppenheimer's career, his life's work, especially the atom bomb. And this movie is not a strict World War II movie either. It is about this. I mean, in its in its basic diluted sense, it's about the morality of using the bomb and its creation and the shadow that it has casted on the world ever since it's been created and the morality of using it in such a moment in the war and then his ego and if it overcame himself and his love for science and he loved contributing a lot of work into science creating something he always wanted to have something that he came out on top with with his knowledge and things that he's encountered throughout his career so he really wanted to contribute to society in some way, but over the course of the film, you see his deterioration with like his own moral compass. He's like, did I really create something that was good for men or not? So I think that was the biggest theme of the movie. Um, but yeah, I, for Nolan too, a lot of people regard The Dark Knight as his best movie, one of the best movies ever made. And to see him create something 
at this magnitude and firing on all cylinders this late late in his career not really late but he's been working for over 20 years now in big movies and the dark knight was 15 years ago mm-hmm. so to see him still have this capability to make something so well crafted while sprinkling in his roots throughout it too was really cool to see so um yeah what do you guys think um about the film what are your first thoughts liz do you have something to add um i do i think this displays so perfectly nolan's um point of view in all of his films because he likes to take these like big topics or kind of like these big events but then focus in to make it more personal because I I don't think this film would be as um, successful if it was just a broad story of like, let's tell the atomic bomb story and like mm. the history behind it. Because then you get a little bit into documentary-ish vibes. Um, and he's just able to make this story super personal, um, kind of talking about the psyche of scientists also in a way without totally... Um, telling you what his opinion is also. He kind of just says, like, um, these are the issues that scientists deal with when they are making these incredible things uh, in scientific in a scientific world. But then if you bring it to the real world, like, then they also deal with these moral dilemmas. Um, and he doesn't really give, like, an answer on, like, does nolan think that the atomic bomb was the worst thing to ever be created he just says like people have thought that and then leaves the audience to walk away deciding it for yourself which i love because if he ended it with uh a solidified like opinion i feel like people would have walked away been not talking about it as much because now it's a topic of like what did you think what did you walk away with Like, the dilemma is crazy if you think about it. Like, here he made this incredible thing that he should be going down in history as, like, one of the smartest people to ever create something. But then at the same time, it's like, "Mm, he made something that completely changed our entire world. That's a great point about, like, just as a filmmaker, too. Mm -hmm. And if you stitch a fixed opinion into a movie, I think that's where a lot of people get lost or they they check out and they're like oh this wasn't really for me or like a lot of people do want to walk into something and make their own opinions on it yes and then especially for movies that you want to escape reality from or you know this is a um non-fiction movie like this all really happened but he still crafted it in a way where you could deduce your own opinions about it so i thought that was really cool that's a good point yeah so i loved that i feel like um all of his films do that but i think this one specifically he just dove into more of the psychological uh elements of his lead character rather than leaning on like the story which i liked yeah i think there's an openness that goes into his filmmaking Uh, And his writing, which he talked about in a recent interview with Entertainment Weekly, that he thinks that the people that don't know anything about Jay Robert Oppenheimer's story will get the most out of the movie. Mm -hmm. And as someone who, again, I don't know what your guy's level of expertise in terms of Oppenheimer going into this, but for me, not knowing much about it other than associating his name with the creation of the atom bomb, there was nothing. So being able to walk in with what is generally an empty slate for a movie of this magnitude 
there's something where he's able to showcase history in a way where it feels so much more personal to every single viewing experience. And uh, I know one of the things Matt Damon, who's one of the stars of this film talked about is that the script was also written in first person, which is super interesting because it's able to give um, even just the actors and the performers of it, this sensibility of perspective and how uh, Oppenheimer felt based on the book that Zach had talked about American Prometheus there's so much in this film where you, again, like there are a lot of fly on the wall sequences and for a three hour movie, um, which I think we disagree on this. So I'm excited to get into this conversation, mm-hmm. but there's, I think the film is like perfectly paced. And even though it's a three hour movie, I was always excited and wanting more information about this guy from the very beginning. There was something about the moment the movie starts, you're just encapsulated by who this guy is, why they want him to create this thing. What are the other elements of his life besides the science? And you see some of it play out with his marriage to Kitty played by Emily Blunt and um, one of his mistresses uh, who was played by Florence Pugh, Jean Talcott, I believe her name was. So so. um, just in terms of the, let's, let's bounce off that for a second. In terms of the pacing, again, it's a three hour movie. It's a long run time. Uh, it's not for everybody like, but I do think that when you have a longer runtime and sometimes someone's like, Oh, it's a slow burn. Some people are good with slow burns. Some people aren't good with slow burns. I don't think this movie is a slow burn at all, but what's your take on, on the runtime? No, I don't think it's a slow burn, but I do think it was 45 minutes way too long. I think, um, I just think we're making films so long now that you start to lose like, okay, what is the story that we're starting to tell? Because I personally think he told two stories in that film. He told the story of the atomic bomb and Oppenheimer's involvement in it, but then also told the aftermath of it, of Oppenheimer's life and how uh, it didn't um, go the way kind of that he planned his life after it would be. Which I get that they're entwined together, but I think to make a film, like maybe pick a, pick one. But if you're trying to tell the whole story, I kind of think that it should have been a limited series almost. Um, I know Nolan won't probably ever do a television. Probably not. Probably not. It would have been incredible, but I just think this story, he, in my opinion, he bit off a little bit too much to give an audience because there were moments that there's just so much information because I was one of those uh, audience members that I didn't really know anything about this story and like Oppenheimer's story. And so for me, I was playing catch up a lot of the time of just trying to be like, okay, okay. So who is that? Who is that? And I didn't really catch people's names. I was kind of more just like, okay, um, like this character who did that and just trying to pay attention where I do feel like I lost a lot of maybe the pre-story of what led Oppenheimer to being an incredible scientist, um, kind of when he was like going to school in, Cam- I think it was Cambridge. When he was teaching, you're saying? Or, no, no, or no, early, like on, early on. Like yeah, I yeah, felt yeah. like they just like powered through that beginning sequence of giving you backstory just so that they could get to the meat of the story. But then it's like, don't give us that if you're not going to set us up to actually be able to understand it. But you don't think any of seeing some of his upbringing and again, like some of his actions as a human being, right? So again, 
like you start to see his ties to the communist party which eventually comes up as a major plot point towards the end of the film when i don't know i don't want to call it a trial and i know it's called something what is do you know exactly what they call it when he's being questioned he's basically getting interrogated and he's losing well they're trying to take away his reputation yes basically yeah Um, yeah but he it's it's like some type of um Oh, there was a word for it, but I'm blanking. They basically, they put, they put Oppenheimer in a room and they question him as if it is a trial and he has a lawyer there, but they're not every time that his lawyer kind of throws back another point on why it wouldn't be, um, acceptable in a court of law. They're like, well, this is not a trial. So like, it's like, we're not, you're not on trial. You're not going to be convicted of anything. So there's no need, but again, they're destroying his reputation and someone who is, as uh has such a big ego as he does though there is a humanistic and and uh like loving quality to his character and for the what he has towards the world and science and and people you don't think that any of the excuse me the things that we see early on in the film like like i said the communist party the i mean the moral dilemma he has in the very beginning of the film where he puts the cyanide in his professor's apple and it almost winds up killing his idol in life so like you don't think any of that is essential to what we eventually get. So I think it's, it could be an essential part, but I just feel like you, you gave that time to showing him trying to like kill his professor when you could have given that time to kind of flesh out a little bit more of like the stories of some of the other characters. Like I felt like kind of like how you felt with Barbie. Like I felt like there were three different storylines going on. I felt like it was, the atomic bomb sequence. It was his trial, not trial. And then it was um, the actual trial, the actual trial that was going on. And I get they're all connected, but I just felt like these are all huge elements in themselves. Like none of them are really subplots. Like it's not like, oh, we can just show a scene of this really quickly. Like they're all main sequences, which it's just like, it's a lot to give an audience in three hours to digest all that. And I think, um, like, personally, I don't really know if I'll go back and watch Oppenheimer again just because of the length. And I don't think a lot of people will, even though I probably did miss a lot of it just because I was trying to pay attention so much. But then I was like, wait, I don't really understand what they're saying or what they're talking about right now. Okay. Zach? Um, the only thing I would I would try to unpack the, the um, ideas with – with the with like the storylines and the and stuff like that, I think it it all added up to his his ego, his um moral stance on the bomb. Like the whole purpose of the lawyers and like they were coming after him because he was outspoken about the use of the bomb after the war. And he's like, I don't think that what we created was something that we necessarily need to use anymore and it also tied into the McCarthyism with the communism. So they were really trying to shut him up in government and try and take away his reputation, his namesake and embarrass him. So I think they were setting up all of those elements and they were sprinkling them in there throughout the film. They were like, okay, he's a communist in the beginning. So that's going to come up later. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a problem for him politically. Um, His, his ego and his, undying love to prove himself scientifically um led to his own 
destruction in a way. Um, and he gave, he gave this ability <coughs> to people and, and his, the whole, you know, the whole bomb and everything. And then I think just, um, the trial, like the trial, the, the trial stuff with Robert Downey Jr. That he's another guy, spoiler alert, he's going <laughs> after, um, Oppenheimer. I mean, it's history yeah. too, so it's not really a spoiler, but, <laughs> um, but he's going after Oppenheimer, and I, I, to your point of like the limited series thing, I think that it could it could have been a limited series. I don't know how much material was, um, like if they skipped over anything in the book that was not all there, or if there's more important events of his life that they just didn't get to. But I think that for like i think my one point too i was going to say is if they did this story completely chronologically like if they started at his his early life and then they went to the trial or they went to the they went to the bomb the bomb happened the bomb is like the action that people are showing up for in the yes. movie in my mind mm-hmm. and then if you had the last hour and a half of just the trial you would have had people leaving or you would have had people really getting lost. Yeah. I would have been bored if I just watched an hour and a half straight of trial talking at tables. So I think the way that Nolan kept you interested and intrigued at, okay, what is this person and what is their significance? Like, And then you start to see little things come up later. There mm-hmm. was the one thing, especially with Einstein, of like, oh, what did he say to Oppenheimer? Like, what's what's that little element? And then... They reveal that conversation at the end. Yeah, so that was great. That that was a great that part. Was really great. Yeah, and that's kind of separate from what you're talking yeah. about. But um, yeah, I I think that it was just it was I think there was some stuff that they could have cut. Like if you're thinking like three hours, sure. But I I think that there was some stuff that was important to his character and mm-hmm. to the the guy that we know as Oppenheimer that they really wanted to convey to the audience because he wasn't a good person at all when you boil it down i think killian murphy's performance is just incredible because he's you have such empathy for this character and you don't really see him at times as a villain necessarily or you don't see him as like uh somebody that you're like oh god i hope that they find him like guilty in a way Mm. you are rooting for him the whole time which i think is great because if he was if he was just a hateable character, I don't think anybody would really love this film as much as people are loving it. Yeah. Yeah. I think like to your point, like he is, he, you do feel empathy for him and you are rooting for him. You do. He, he does have, uh, conflicted morals in his marriage Mm -hmm. in his science and his beliefs. Mm -hmm. So that's all in like transfixed in this web of stuff which they did really well of just like this guy is super conflicted but you're rooting for him yeah and then he keeps making mistakes as simple as like dude don't cheat on your wife like don't do that (laughs) that's just like like, you got everything else going on come on man so (laughs) but then yeah so i i think that they just they really emphasized he he was not a perfect person and then he recalls his imperfections Mm -hmm. and and the um the hearing I think we're gonna call it a hearing. Maybe we'll call yeah. it a hearing. hearing. Okay, <laughs> instead of trial. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, with the lawyers and everything. So he's he's 
they're literally walking through his life and they're like, oh, you did this, you did this. What mm-hmm. was your relationship with this person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I think... So you guys wouldn't take anything out. Yeah, so that's what I was just I don't gonna, think I would. Okay. Just for me. I think yeah. that, again, like, funny and funnily enough, the opposite <laughs> of how... Uh, you feel for Barbie. I feel about Barbie. I don't think there's anything that I would cut out of this movie. I think that it's such an expansive exploration of this human being that Nolan wants to showcase that society does not know for anything other than one thing. Mm -hmm. And he's so much more than that. And you see it based on like what Zach was just saying too. There's such a moral core that is on and off with this character. And just to um, piggyback off what you said, Killian Murphy, first of all, I'm so happy he gets a showcase like this. And I mean, Peaky Blinders, if you guys don't watch Peaky Blinders, watch it. But like, he doesn't get a lot of lead roles and he's been in a shit ton of Nolan movies. Um, and he's great in Inception. He's great as Scarecrow. But this is a character. First of all, you just see the pain in his eyes in so many scenes in this mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. and the aging process that you see with his character. Uh, it's so good. It's incredible. And uh, there's just so much to me in this movie that I wouldn't want to cut out because. Me personally, I like these personal stories about people. I don't know. I gravitate towards mm-hmm. more personal relationships. And um, like, I think that's the reason not to go too off track, but like in Marvel movies that I do enjoy the personal relationships that you start to see the characters develop with one another is what emphasizes it for me. This, I think this is the most personal of any movie Nolan's ever done. Mm-hmm. And I think that he realized that in reading the book that there was so much that he learned that he's like, there is so much here that we can interpret in so many different ways based on this guy that is only known really generally for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he talked about too, in, in um, the entertainment weekly interview with uh, Robert Denny, it was him, Robert Denny jr. Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, just some of the remarkable cast that we'll get into in a little bit, but he talks about how, um, he wasn't going to name this film American Prometheus. He was just going to name it Oppenheimer because there was so much in that just him as a man and what he went through that had to do with everything that came before, during, and after the building of the atomic bomb that, and I do understand what you're saying. Cause so, and I think Zach was talking about it too. So many viewers went into this film for that sequence. Yeah. I, went into this as like, this is a Christopher Nolan movie Mm -hmm. and there's a remarkable cast and I'm interested to learn something new. And I think based on what you were saying, like you felt like there was too much. I felt like it was fed to me in the perfect meal. Okay. I felt like every single thing was a course. satisfied. (laughs) I left more than satisfied. I felt like, again, it's like when you go through something where you have like a, again, like maybe like a four course meal, but then you're, you leave and you're like, I still like, I feel so perfect with what I just ate. Like I was like, finger licking at the end of this movie <laughs> and there's uh there like i said there's just there's so much we could talk about i want to i want to dive into the cast a little more because it's just remarkable the amount of talent that is in this film and has yeah. these little bit parts or in other films too it would be like very very small parts but everyone is unbelievable in this movie i mean uh i think matt damon is having a hell of a year he is i, I love think it. between this and air i think and and uh, Matt Damon was previously in Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was something, I don't know if you guys saw this. I thought this was really funny. He openly and explicitly talked about this, that in couples counseling with his wife, uh, she wanted him to take some time off of acting. 
And uh, he's like, I was able to finagle in saying, like making an agreement with his wife and the mm-hmm. therapist. I promise I will take a year off unless no one calls. Oh, and God. And, and he's like, because, and he specifically talks about it because you don't know when he's going to call because no one is aware when this guy's making a new movie until yeah. he makes the call and he calls you. Um, so, and then Damon got offered this and he plays a general, uh, um, in the film and, and he's so great in it. Uh, I got Emily Blunt, g- give her all the flowers. Oh my I, I can't I... wait. She, if she's not nominated, it's complete and utter Something's robbery. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> she's so, 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 so great in this movie as, um, Kitty Oppenheimer, uh, Robert Oppenheimer's wife. And again, we talked about Killian Murphy. He's the obvious standout, right? Uh, yeah. But all these other people, I mean, Oscar winners. Rami Malek has one scene, like one essential scene in the film that of is talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you get a cameo performance from an Oscar winner in Casey Affleck. Mm-hmm. So intimidating in that scene. Uh, Jason Clark as uh, oh, he was so good, so good man. as the uh, the um, the opposing lawyer in the hero. Robbie Rob, yes. Robbie, yeah. Robbie Rob, or something something along the lines yeah. of that. Robbie. Robbie something. Robbie no, I'm gonna say Robbie Ray, that's a baseball player. Um, but all those performances, I mean, then you, you have a scene of Gary Oldman, another Oscar winner that's in, in one scene. Uh David Crumholtz, who plays his uh friend, the um the Bronx Jewish uh scientist in his own right. You know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's great in everything he does, but so great in this movie. I mean, there's so many performances to take away. Florence Pugh again. Also in it, I, I we definitely want to hear Liz's take on that because she has some strong opinions on her character. But um, just in terms of the performances in general, Liz, was there like some of the standouts for you? I mean, Emily Blunt for me, I just um, she really stood out as a supporting uh, actor for me because she didn't just let it be like uh, uh, the side wife. She really was yeah. like, I mean, it was it was incredible. She was an alcoholic. She was a mother who is not good at being a mother, which I'm so glad that they touched on that because I feel like um, this time period, it's very easy just to be like, oh, it, uh, motherhood is what women are, are meant for and what they were meant to do at this time. So let's just have you be like a good mom and like take care of the children while he's the one that's like not present. But instead, it's her being like, I don't want to take care of my child anymore. Like some like I don't want to do this, which is huge because it just never like explained ever in um, time time pieces like this. Um, And I also love that she gave a whole life to character and not just making it like the wife. Um, and I don't know if that was her or Nolan that specifically went that route, but they really pushed the envelope and I loved it. How great is her scene in the um, hearing? Oh, it's everything. It's so good. Yes. It's because there's a moment where you're like, oh man, she's been asking him to fight this whole, because t- the whole movie, she's just like, I want you to fight, like stand up and like do something. Mm-hmm. And then it comes to her moment and you're like, oh girl, like you're not going to fight now. Like you're just going to kind of like, cry and just like let them walk all over you when you've been complaining to um your husband saying like he needs to stand up for himself and then all of a sudden she snaps into it and is just like i'll play if you want to play i love the direction in that scene too when jason clark's character kind of scoots towards her and tries Mm -hmm. to like like manhandle her for the lack of a better turn or like intimidate her but kind Mm. of in like a oh you're crying like i'll i'll help you like what's wrong yeah like very condescending yeah incredible mm-hmm. and i know I, I i didn't forget but robert Downey jr 
Another, I think, oh, yes. I think, I think that, so just, we'll get into the full thing later. Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt. If all of them don't get nominated, it's robbery. For yeah, this movie. it really yes. is. And it's great Easily. to see him in a performance. Um, I think he's great as Tony Stark in the MCU, but getting away from that and having, I mean, the last movie he did, I'm pretty sure before this was Doolittle. Like he hasn't wow. done anything in a long time. And right. Did you see what he said too about um, just acting uh, after the MCU in general, he said like he had to find himself acting again. Like he had, he could, he kind of fell out of that because he was stuck in the formula of Tony Stark. He had also been playing him for almost a decade. Yeah. So Doolittle was his decade. last over thing. decade. Yeah. Wow. And I think that was at the right before the pandemic. I believe that came out January of 2020. It was 2020. Yeah. So um, being able to see an actor of his caliber, I mean, a two-time Oscar nominee for nothing in the MCU. Tropic Thunder and playing Charlie Chaplin in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Like being able to see him showcase to this level and playing such a villainous character mm -hmm. in, in such a and not a not a in your face villain either. No. Someone that there there was an element of him and he talks very much of that opposing perspective towards the end of the film, right? When he's talking to Alden Ehrenreich's character about how Oppenheimer, he's like, he just gets everything he wants mm -hmm. and he's an egotistical maniac. And this guy is the father of science and all because of one moment where he's embarrassed and you see the vindictiveness and the, the ruthlessness of his character in such a quiet and mild mannered way. Mm -hmm. And the scene where they have the meeting between all the scientists and him in the back room is, Oh my God too. that round so table so of talent good. and writing and all of it to me. Um, Again, I think I think he's great. If if either one of you guys want to, no, I mean I agree that. with everything that you just said. I think he is incredible. I think that he plays a really good job of like being a wolf in like a sheep's clothing kind of throughout the film because I don't think as an audience member you catch on until almost after the bomb happens. Um, I think they hide it really well because at, at first I feel like you're just kind of like, okay, like this guy is just here to like kind of narrate almost 100 that's what i felt right and that he's just here to like be the talking point of like this is why we're going into oppenheimer's history it's because of this trial mm -hmm. um and then all of a sudden it's revealed and then you start picking up and you're like oh wait what like something's going on with this character and like he really is saying horrible things actually about oppenheimer yeah. um and i love the reveal of him being like i had gasps in my theater did you i did which again i think plays into that not to not to um damper like your point of cutting things out of the film but i think that's why there there's there going back to that expansiveness of what this life embodies and how people don't really understand the full uh breadth of what j robert oppenheimer's life is and was mm -hmm. having something like that that like zach said it's history there's no spoiler here you could look up yeah. what actually happened um again we're talking about an interpretation and uh re like recalling historical events so there might be some elements of this that might have been um yeah like i wouldn't know yeah. over dramatized exactly Thank i you. wouldn't know this i'm taking all of this as real history <laughs> so. well that's i think i think <laughs> I don't know if you're, I'm, I'm the same way. Sometimes I watch movies. And I'm like, it's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly how, it how it happened. <laughs> but he it's not he actually. said that exact thing to her. Yeah, like. exactly. But um, yeah, I thought that again, uh, ha being able to have a twist in, I don't want to say it's a biopic because it's so much more than that, mm -hmm. but it is, it's a biographical picture mm -hmm. 
based on uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer's life, being able to have a twist in a biopic is so difficult to do mm-hmm. because we're talking about a majorly historical figure here. So, yeah, I thought that the way Nolan played that, and again, I think that uh, lends itself to the pacing of the film. And, and I don't know when in the runtime the atomic bomb goes off, but I believe there's like an hour of the movie afterwards. And for me, it flew by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Well, because I feel like in a way, the the bomb was, um, obviously it was a big moment, but I don't feel like it was the full climax of the story. I feel like no. it wasn't until that shoe dropped of like what actually happened after was what the actual um, like tip of the storyline was. Which I think Nolan is really good at subverting expectations because of that in mm-hmm. a lot of his movies. I think Interstellar does a really good job of that too. Yeah. Um, so I I appreciated him being able to craft this very personal story around something that everybody knows this one guy for. Zach, what's your take on on like the, the I mean, I guess the movie as a whole too, like the performances, just where are you at with this with this movie? I was gonna um kind of circle back to what we were saying about his most personal film because i do agree with what you're saying about that and i read this roger ebert article it was part of the review and they were saying that you know christopher nolan suspended a lot of his original techniques with these mind-bending thrillers Mm -hmm. you know that's kind of something very typical of his world building or his you know grand um over-the-top stories that he's he really does create very well and he kind of threw out a lot of those elements while keeping i mean he did encapsulate a lot of story in this three-hour mark but he he threw out a little bit of those elements sprinkled in those roots of like black and white to color like memento um he has a lot of his um you know, his action is very, no CGI, very um, physical. He tries to make everything as personal and authentic as possible. And then he just puts a personal figure in history like Oppenheimer, whose life does read like a, a screenplay in mm-hmm. a movie. And he puts him in a box and then he basically pits him against himself in ways while giving him those mistaken circumstances. And um, there was actually, you know, kind of going back to some of his other movies too, like the, the end of Dark Knight, everybody has to hate Batman. Batman says, I have to, you know, be the one that they cast out, not Harvey Dent. And it had a little bit of a callback too in the end of Oppenheimer is, is um that conversation with Einstein the, the the first half of it is he's like you know people will begin to cast you out again like for your creation whether that's a good or bad thing because they're jealous or they'll betray you and other stuff and then they go through that whole sequence where he's at the White House he's getting a medal shaking hands with the same people that casted him out mm-hmm. and that they're they're like yeah that's he's really sequence. not it's so yeah that good. was an amazing sequence and then of course you know, God said Emily Blunt is like, she's like, I'm gonna I'm shake your hand. hand. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, thank it. you. Somebody didn't do it. I was like, dude, don't shake their hand. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
yeah it was it that was another thing that like felt like it trickled over and then just the movie was very personal it wasn't that hero's journey like we're gonna go through time and space and then we're gonna go through you know like gotham city like chaos and all this anarchy happening it was it was men and women pitted against themselves his own ego pitted against it was man versus self it was man versus nature Mm -hmm. man versus man like it was Mm -hmm. everything all in one and he like you were saying too didn't stitch in an opinion he left it up for people to grab at you know was this a good creation you can see how much it weighs on this person Mm -hmm. what is your takeaway that's what he's asking the audience which is i think what the best filmmakers do is they want you to make your own conclusion so that was my take on it but yeah i love it (laughs) i think too i really appreciated um again because so much there is a lot of heavy lifting in terms of just the name recognition of so many people, not only like the faces that we associate with the actors, but the, the literal names of all these different scientists that he's bringing in. And I thought the, uh, a lot of the Los Alamos stuff I really loved Mm -hmm. and, um, that and the hearing being able to see the way that Oppenheimer would deal with certain scientists and the repercussions that had later, as well as, uh, when he was in his own hearing and you see, though they all work in the same field, every single person to me anyway, had their own very distinct personality. Josh mm-hmm. Hartnett's character. I love Love that. Yeah. I, he was so fantastic. Good. First of all, remember a few, uh, well, maybe almost a decade ago now at this point, we had the McConaughey for Matthew yeah. McConaughey. Yeah. I want Josh Hartnett to get like leading roles. I think he's he was. Back. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. I was like, what are you talking about for a second? Oh, <laughs> Matthew so, McConaughey. I was let's like, start what? the Hartnett sense. That probably isn't right yeah. phonetically. But I would love to see him in more things. And I love this, the, 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 again, the direction in this movie. But when he comes down the stairs and he's about to go into the hearing, and yep. David Kremholtz's character gives him this look, and he realizes how broken of a man Oppenheimer is, mm-hmm. and he's going in with an intention that he's going to be honest, and he doesn't agree with, especially all the commie things that yep. he had backed up for so many years, and he just walks away. Mm-hmm. And it's an awesome moment. Yeah. And again, like his character, Krumholtz's character, Matthew Modine going in the hearing and just being like, I'm not fucking dealing with this. Yeah. Putting yeah. his glasses on and going, good luck, guys. I'm, I'm done. Matt Damon, like, and then that look that he gives him, like, I got your back, man. Like, I picked you, I selected you to create this atom bomb, even though you gave me to my face the reason why I should not pick you. And I still picked you because I knew you were the only person that could do this job, no matter how destructive this job literally and figuratively will be in your life and the world, in the world's hands. Like it just, I don't know. Again, I think the movie is, is almost perfect. uh, And I think that, I think this is one of Nolan's greatest movies ever. Which again, for such an extensive filmography, uh, I think that's again like Zach was saying, it's more than twenty years in the film industry, and you're still kind of one-upping a lot yeah. of these movies that you've done. Like, I mean, The Dark Knight, The Prestige, uh, Interstellar, Inception, yeah. Interstellar Memento, insane. Dunkirk, yeah. all these remarkable movies, and this three-hour epic about one guy's life uh, that, again, as Zach was saying, seemed that he just went against everything that he has the the um methodology of how he creates films being able to do this movie with a hundred million dollar budget with such a big story and put it on such a pedestal i think it's i think it's really i think it's really amazing 
I am curious. You said almost perfect. So what would you say you disagreed with or didn't like in the film? I think that um, there are some elements in terms of the way that I do appreciate sometimes show don't tell, Mm -hmm. but there were some moments in this film that I thought were too showy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, this is a spoiler. It's not, it doesn't even have to really do with the story, and that's why I think it's such an unnecessary thing. Yeah. But uh, And we haven't talked much about her character, so I think this is a perfect transition point. But Florence Pugh's character of Jean Talcott is uh, his mistress, J. Robert Oppenheimer's mistress, who he actually formed a relationship with prior to his marriage mm-hmm. to Kitty Oppenheimer, which, again, let's remind everybody, too, Kitty cheated on her husband. J. Robert Oppenheimer cheated on uh, who he was with at the time. Yeah. So they're all bad people but i shouldn't say that but regardless and wasn't she married like three times didn't they say yeah she goes she actually goes through all her marriages Mm -hmm. in the sequence where they they go to los alamos together yes um but um there's a scene during the hearing where um basically the uh opposing lawyer jason clark's character is getting him to finally admit even though she's well aware of the affair which you mm-hmm. see later on in the movie because we jump back and forth between timelines as zach said and different points in time in his life but he has to like formally just say the last time he saw uh jane talcott was right before she had killed herself yeah and um they had sex they they he, again he cheated on his wife but there's a moment where uh basically then it cuts back to jason clark's character then we cut back to killian murphy and he's fully naked in his chair mm-hmm. and then um he's having sex with Gene Talcott in front of Emily Blunt. And to me, it was something that I just thought was unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I thought it was gratuitous. And uh, I think that the earlier sex scene that comes uh, very early in the movie, I think it's like 30 minutes in, which I think that's getting backlash online. I actually think it's a very essential part. And it's because of a line that she makes him utter, Mm -hmm. which we see later on in the atomic bomb sequence. But that is a part of the movie that I think um, I had issue with just again, close to near perfect um but again that's like that's a minor gripe Mm -hmm. and even in terms of its sound design there are some interesting choices that i wouldn't fully be behind but it's not something that would completely take me out of the movie how i feel like the extent of what the mattel thing did for me and barbie i didn't feel that with it maybe took me out of the movie for like 20 seconds and i was (laughs) like oh this was weird and it actually like kind of in my theater experience anyway there was like some i could i could feel a weird kind Mention. of yeah. yeah i was just like oh yeah. this this is i don't know if this yeah, you're like, to be what's going movie. on like why? yeah exactly so that was that was that was mine mm-hmm. but you want to talk about more of your yeah i mean I'm a, huge, yeah. I'm a huge pew stan but i just really don't i i didn't really understand why her character was needed in this story um so maybe you guys want to pitch me on why you disagree with me on that i just think um I get what you guys have said about like he she was his like connection to the communist party but there he had plenty of other connections like why did they folk I just feel like if they're gonna show her as like a main point give her character more light to show us like uh a little bit more into her world I'm gonna say the I think a big reason was um you know, the weight of the suicide on him, mm-hmm. the weight of his, he, he violated his wife's trust. Um, and also showing that he was corruptible. Um, and then as well as 
Um, I just think I think it was just important for him to have that in his life because like he he was dealing with so much at that point in time, and then for them to also try and embarrass him in the hearing and then they're trying to go through oh yeah you're just not a good person like why should we give you this pass like that that was another important thing and then um i i think the big part of like his the wear it had on his marriage which was another one of my favorite emily blunt scenes was he hears about the suicide he's like he's like i read the note he's like he's in the woods and yeah like he's like breaking down He's like, he's like, I feel like, you know, this, you know, I'm responsible. Like I read the note, I read the note. And then she's like, she's like, you better get yourself together because you don't get to, you don't get to make people feel bad for your sins. And I was like, oh, wow, that was a really good point there. So I I think that it was, it was another one of his life decisions that he had to live with Mm. because he destroyed his relationships and his reputation and like he lost a lot mm-hmm. with, throughout the movie. So I think it was really just emphasizing that. Um, and I feel like if it was left out, some people might, if they knew Oppenheimer and they knew his story, they might question why that wasn't in, if it was going on at the same time as the other stuff. But yeah. I, I do think, I disagree with your point in saying that you think that there were other people, at least I don't want to just focus heavily on the communist aspect of it. Cause I don't think it's the most central part of the story it does play a major effect especially in his hearing mm-hmm. there's a lot of rebuttal and a lot of brought up points about the communism they talk about it very heavily in the scene with kitty yeah but i do think that there's an element of oppenheimer that isn't fully on board with the communistic i mean he is on board with the communistic views at that point but even like you see later on like his brother marrying that woman yeah and she's a heavy communist and he's like i don't think that's such a good idea and I think that her view and her impact on his life skewed a lot of his morality. Genes. Genes. Yeah. I do. I, I I think there was a point you made about, do you want to say what? Yeah. So I think my, the reason I don't really um, agree with like the impact of their relationship is because I don't think it was, there was enough screen time of their relationship for us to understand like where it ties in. Because for me, it was kind of like, okay, they met in the beginning. Uh, they had uh, like sex together. They started a small relationship, but then he it ended up not working out. So it was kind mm. of like the one that got away in a sense. And then we don't hear of her again until way later in the film where then it's brought up in this like hearing. And so I just kind of wish that they had brought it in a little bit more when he was actually building the atomic bomb to show that like, his full fo- focus isn't actually in this and he does have a whole secret that he's keeping because then it would have kept me being like, oh, okay, this means more than just like a, a one-off relationship. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. And I do think the relationship is interesting and, and dynamic in a certain way because you see elements of it. My only, my um, question Rebuttal. to you would be, yeah, my, my question to you would be if you think the movie already needs 45 minutes cut from it, like I'm okay with adding 15 to 20 minutes to enhance their relationship, but you already think the movie is too long. So where at the end, again, I, I think you said earlier on, you believe that it would work better as a limited series. This should have been a TV show. But again, let's <laughs> let, so to, to kind of put the Barbie-ism on you, right? Like I said before that though, I don't agree with that sequence. It, mm-hmm. it, it fits for what they're going for, for that film, right? 
this movie works for a lot of people. You want to add to this. So how do you think you would be able to add to it without having to cut? Like, what would you cut from this movie if there are certain people that don't think anything should be cut from this movie? I would probably cut... Um, to, I would go two ways. You don't make the atomic bomb like the main focus of this film and you kind of make it more just like an event that happens in his life. And then you focus more on just the overall arcing story. I think, but if you want to keep the atomic bomb as like one of the climactic moments in the scene, then you don't um, show all of the back and forth with um, uh, like his past and then jumping forward. Like you make it more of a linear script. Interesting. So you don't think you needed to show like the whole building and the, the importance and significance of what, the atomic bomb was to history and his life and his role in history. I just felt like there were a lot of scenes at a certain point that it was like all about this, like the building of it and like the science. And I guess just because it kind of goes over my head a little bit. Uh, there's some scenes that I was just kind of like, okay, they're, they're building the bomb. I get it. <laughs> but what, don't you think there are certain parts of those sequences where you start to again, see, the impact that certain people have on his life and the repercussions of certain ways they're acting. And again, butting heads like we see, uh, I think his name is Fuchs is the character that we eventually see is revealed as like a spy. And he puts him in a leadership position because there's a rift between two other scientists. So, and again, that's one small part. Yeah. And I'm saying that's, that's five minutes of screen time versus whatever, but I'm saying you don't believe that moments like that are as important because no, I think I it's just, hard to. So I think what I'm trying, I think what I'm trying to say is there was almost like, there's just too much information to put this into a three hour film. And so like, it should have been in a longer form, but then the, I just think that nobody wants to see a three hour film really anymore. I think that three hour films, you you lose audience members to go see it. And I think that's why it didn't do as well as Barbie, because I think some people were probably like, oh, my God, I want to see Oppenheimer and Barbie. But then they checked and were like, Oppenheimer's three hours. Ooh, I don't know if I want to do that. I think that's a fair point, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. Zach, wow. you have something? I feel like you had something to say. Um, I was God, just, we're God miking Zach, yeah. by the way, at this point in the recording, because we did lose a battery. So I was just going to say that... Um, it, like w at least with the draw for audiences, it's definitely based off of the runtime and the subject matter. And yeah, I think uh, like when we looked at the box office, Barbie was the easier digestible film that we were talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah, and but, I I do think that like you were just saying though, you were like you would take out some of the aspect of the building of the bomb, but that's so much of what a lot of the people are going for. And maybe we should transition into the atomic bomb sequence. Maybe if yeah. you want to, because I know that you had some gripes with it, but I feel that that's such, I don't want to say it's the core of the movie. Cause I've gone on a rant already mm -hmm. on here, how I think the personal element of the story is what makes the movie so great, but it is essential in my opinion, to still showcase the building of the bomb. Again, I think you can shed maybe like five to 10 minutes from it, but I don't know how you can shed 45 minutes, especially in that sequence to add on a relationship with Gene because I think I do agree that there is room to improve and show the impact of that relationship mm -hmm. in a better way. But I think it would be addition by addition, not just addition by subtraction in my mind. Yeah. 
Which is why I think I'm sticking with, I think this story is too much for just a film. Okay. I do. I disagree, but that's fair. So let's get into the atomic bomb sequence, though. Liz, you had a couple opinions about it, but some people had um, pretty mixed experiences with with that sequence. Yeah. There's um, kind of what you were saying, DJ, of just how Nolan challenges and subverts our expectations. Um, That was one moment that stood out to me that I was like, oh, that was a very different take. And um, the explosion goes off. Everybody is is watching at it. And they kind of all have their own realizations of like how important this event is. And I think that's why they cut the sound from it um, and the initial reaction because everyone is just left mesmerized in their own way at this device. Um, And the choice to not have a delayed explosion instead of this grand giant bomb like which is like very typical of a war movie or any other explosive in a movie is like you are immediately expecting those senses to go off but having that one sense attuned to to not being there for a sense left you to think about oh why did why did they do it or like why are they also transfixed on this device but so what was your take on that part um i uh, you know what? I think it was one of those things for me that it was so hyped up the bomb that I was going in and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the most incredible cinematic moment in history that I will ever see. And it was not that for me. It was kind of just like a great buildup that I was really anticipating. And I was like, oh my gosh, when the countdown was happening and the, the button was hit by Josh Beck, I was like, this is it. <laughs> I had to get a Josh Beck reference. Of course, of course. I was like, this is it. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. And then the climax just drops, which I do like because sometimes that does work where you drop to go back up. But I just feel like they dropped a little bit too long in the silence. And like, of course, they want to show the audience like, this in a sense is beautiful a bomb because of all the work and everything that they've put together to create this but then also it's the beginning of like the worst thing to ever happen Mm. but i just feel like they sat on it a little bit too long and then my anticipation was done and so Mm. then by the time that the sound wave came i was just kind of like okay what's next rather than like oh my god that was everything that i had hoped for now i do know i think like logistically and like scientifically a bomb the sound wave does not happen when the initial like uh explosion explosion happens Mm. so i do know that like tech he did it technically right cinematically i just feel like the silence lasted a little bit too long so I really enjoyed the sequence and I think a big part of it is because of in the, let's say, I don't know the exact runtime on how much silence there is. Let's say it's 40 seconds, Yeah. right? About 20 seconds in, 15 seconds in, you hear um, Oppenheimer's character repeat something to himself. You hear it as an audience member, but he doesn't speak it like on screen which i don't remember him saying this at all okay, i don't know yeah, why and, and i I, re- I remember and i'm pretty sure zach we fact-checked right he does say this uh yeah okay mm-hmm. so he says a line which is from early on in the film too where he says now i am become death the destroyer of worlds 
And it's a scene that, again, my opinion on Gene Talcott's character, that's an, for that to be played during that sequence and for him to be saying it in his mind, early on in the film, he doesn't understand. And I love that scene, by the way, where they're, they're, they're having sex. She gets off of him and she goes towards his bookshelf and she pulls out this um, B- Bhagavad Gita, I think it's called. I just, I just looked it up. So oh, okay. excuse me if I butchered it. But she um, asks him to read something to her, what it says. Mm-hmm. And it's that line, but he tries to explain it to her first, like mansplaining. And she's like, no, no, no. I want you to read me yeah. exactly what it says. So another thing that I just came to with the digesting of the movie, uh, I think is interesting because as he's saying that to himself, I believe that that is the moment in time where the switch happens morally. Okay. I think that, again, he does... He's so immersed in trying to create this thing and there's a pressure and he wants to do it right. And he doesn't want to, because he appreciates and has a lot of respect for Matt Damon's character, the general. He wants to make sure that he, he's not like in a shitstorm because of this whole thing. And it all leads up to this moment. And it finally happens and there is a beauty in it and you see it visually. But when he says that to himself, he realizes I am the person that just created something that could that is potentially destroying the world forever Mm -hmm. and the future of what nuclear warfare means to our present and their future. And I thought that that was so powerful and it was such a unique way of, again, for those people that went to the film to see this big sequence, he brought it back to, again, something that was so personal to Oppenheimer and his his relationship to Gene that I, I really appreciated the, the atomic bomb sequence. Um, and I, that, that was just my take on it. Yeah. And yeah. it was like time stopped in that moment of that deep breath of, okay, this is going to be the world after this moment. The, the, another part of the film is we have been living in definitely our lifetime, but our parents' lifetime too, of this shadow of nuclear war threat of like the ability that if one superpower wanted to they could take out another government or you know mass destruction around the planet and when you try and comprehend that there was a time that that didn't exist and they had just created that and the weight of that Mm -hmm. on his conscience is everything yeah that i think i agree with you that is the switch and his and his own persona where he's like okay scientifically this was a 10 out of 10 Mm -hmm. you know it 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 couldn't have gone any better but more like again morally i don't think this is the right thing to do and i i liked um there's also a warning before the test happens where they're still constructing the bomb where benny safty's character talks to him and he says you know we're just here to create the device it's up to them on how they use it Mm -hmm. so he kind of has a pause there and then he has a a double take for a second and then there's another moment where his group of scientists are congregating and they're trying to get a petition and they're like the nazis are defeated the war is at the end should we still go through with this and his ego takes over again he's like no no we have to keep going with this and like yeah there was funding and stuff into it but Mm -hmm. if they really wanted to put their foot down they could have and so he was you know very gung-ho like let's get this done and then after it happens and then after it's used he can't even fathom what Mm -hmm. he just created until he sees the images too in the Mm -hmm. slideshow and um 
I love what they did there. They didn't show the slideshows or the damage of the of the nuclear bombings, which was another controversial thing for some people. They were like, why weren't the actual World War II bombings shown and, not, mm. and just the test? And I think it was also because he was out of the loop on seeing that, on that. until, yeah. And they wanted that stuff but um yeah what did you guys think? i think i think that's really interesting and i'm glad you brought that that point up too because again going his character is so egotistical until that moment mm -hmm. and i believe and I, again i just saw the film yesterday based on that they were recording so my recall I'm, I'm doing my best but i'm pretty sure that also the first scene we see post testing that is off of los alamos's ground is him looking at it, it flashes forward and it's the Time magazine and him looking at the cover saying the father of the atomic bomb. I think so. Which is such a major, beautiful piece of editing mm -hmm. and direction because he is your Nolan is laying out for you that it's the first time that Oppenheimer finally is under the weight of himself. Yeah. And he fully feels it. Yep. And there's such a gravi gravitas to that in particular that, again, to me, again, I just like if I'm looking at a film in a three act structure, though it does jump around in time, like I think it's it's laid out in such mm -hmm. a way where it's like beginning pre-atomic bomb, middle atomic bomb, yep. and then you still have, like I said, maybe about an hour afterwards where you're dealing with what that not only meant to the world, but mm -hmm. the whole trying to bring him down, the opposition of his character and the weight of finally being able to see and admit to himself and you see it, he's so skinny and he's got the gray hair and yep. you see the pain in his eyes and he's smoking more cigarettes than ever. And his friends are trying to be there for him and support him in the best way that they can in this bullshit hearing that is so not real. Um, I just, I, I really appreciated the atomic bomb sequence and the way that they put the editing together to show the weight of what that meant to his character on top of what it meant to the world. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, kind of what you were just talking about with the father of the atomic bomb uh times magazine i think one of my favorite things is how he commented on the concept of like working so hard to achieve something and then when you do achieve it you actually aren't happy having achieved that um and then they also kind of talk about that with like um albert einstein's mm. character where he's like i don't remember the exact wording but he says something uh, along the lines of like uh like they're gonna they're they're questioning you now and like against you now but like give it like 40 years or something and they're gonna be giving you a medal and like applauding you and like only seeing your achievements and he's gonna be like and you're just gonna shake their hands and like act like it's fine but like know that like it wasn't which i think is such a huge topic in itself to cover is like um again working so hard to achieve something and achieving success and then people not being happy for your success in that moment but then you later on in life having this success come back up but by that point you're just kind of like over it yeah you know i think that this movie and this story and this person too is the most extreme example of what you just said yeah like to the largest degree like mm -hmm. he created a weapon of mass destruction that is still being talked about of nuclear warfare forever yeah and uh i i do want to touch a little bit because i feel like it is important for us to talk about the relationship he has with einstein in this movie uh tom conti plays albert einstein he's a frequent collaborator with nolan as well um and i love the uh the first time he goes to um i think they're at princeton but i'm not positive 
where uh, when he first meets Robert Downey Jr.'s character when he's coming in to try to be a part of at the atomic uh, uh, summit, like where they do the research and stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so he goes in there, and I love the little like quip he says to Robert Downey Jr.'s character, where he's like, you know, like, he goes, "You're the man of modern science," and he goes, "And that's the old guy." Yeah, or, like he's like, "That's the old. That's the one who used to have it. Now it's all about me." But then you see later on when you see the extent of what that conversation is and the relationship I'm, I'm glad like he's in the movie a couple different times to show the relationship that they had there was such a eternal respect there mm-hmm. and uh, after the fact i've been seeing a lot on social media and, and online that they did have such a very close-knit relationship einstein and oppenheimer so that was something that again and for it to be something that was not shown in the trailer like I, I think the only shot they show in the trailer is just like the shot of like the half head but there's such an emotional core to what that relationship means and what it means to science, which is, yep. again, boils down to what this all has to do with, right? He's a physicist. And again, it takes you to the beginning where he's at university and the end where it's the old and the new. Or, yep. And it's it's just it's just amazing. I really appreciated that aspect of it. I did too. But I loved it. Should we, uh, should we give scores? Is there should anything we else rate? we want to talk about? Yeah, um, we'll do some scores. All right. Should we do, oh, you want me to start? Yeah, you can Go start. Go ahead. Take you can it start, away. You can start God, Mike. Okay, the God, Mike. Uh, I'll I'll give it a 10 out of 10. I really I, – I saw this – I'm going to brag. I saw this in 70 millimeter. Whoop, whoop. And it was <laughs> the clearest. I wish I could see every si- – I've been saying this to everyone. I wish I could see every single movie this way because it was the clear – I could see Robert Downey Jr.'s pores. <laughs> <laughs> And I never knew I needed that until that moment. And I just saw it like it was the best quality possible. If anyone has a chance to do it, totally recommend it. But um, it, it, it was the most – I can't remember the last movie experience I had where I walked out and I was pondering life questions along with the ethereal experience that I just got from a movie – and the way that it was masterfully done. And I, I think like, especially going into it, is this going to be one of Nolan's great movies? And I, I think personally that this was like his opus, like his Irishman in a way of for Scorsese. I think he, I mean, he could do a bigger movie than this, but for three hours biopic, having all this packed into it being so personal, I think it was his opus of his um, work. So, yeah. What do you think, DJ? I would tend to agree with everything you said. <laughs> uh, I t- We talked for a long time about this film, and I-, I went on for a long time. This movie affected me in-, in ways that I feel like, one, a lot of Nolan's movies have not in the past, though I do appreciate a lot of what he does. Um, like A film like Dunkirk, I really, I really like, um, but it's a movie, and he's admitted this too. He's like, it was just like kind of, you know, it was experimental. Like, Zach just kind of, pointed at this is such a personal story to him and i don't think it was personal until he picked up that book and he really interpreted this in such a way where this guy was so much more than the guy that created this this massive bomb uh i would also give it a 10 out of 10 i think with my minor gripes uh though they are gripes they're so minor that it doesn't take away from the movie as a whole for me uh and i it's not my only 10 out of 10 for the year so far i think this is a really good year for movies personally so oh, far absolutely um, yeah, great year. and uh this is towards the top of the list for me but 
again, and in terms of Oscar nominations, I think we're going to see a lot for this. I think we're going to see a lot for this and Barbie. 100%. But uh, I think that this is this is definitely going to be Nolan has five Oscar nominations to his to his mantle. Uh, I don't know what his films total have, but I think this is definitely going to be his most rewarded and accomplished film in terms of award accreditation. So, Liz, let's get let's get your take. It's I, I, as much as I like had tweaks about this movie and like pushed on concept. I do think it's an incredible film. Um, it's very entertaining. I didn't feel bored at any times. It's just there was a lot of information, but I am going to give it a nine. That's fair. I mean, that's fair. I'll yes, take it. It is a great film. I'll definitely take it. I just yeah. don't think it's perfect. Um, that's fair too. And those are the flaws that I've found with it. Okay. So. I hope you guys enjoyed our very long discussion very here long. on both Barbie and Oppenheimer or Barbenheimer. Um, again, two unbelievable movies. Please rush to the cinemas if you haven't already. If you watched this whole entire thing and didn't see these movies, wow. kudos to you, but you just got spoiled. Or it heavy. might be my mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, she did see Barbie. She okay. liked it. Okay, awesome, yeah. awesome. Um, but anyway, so thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, we have a lot of other stuff. Um, to come for you guys, make sure again you follow our social medias at Cinema Wave Media at underscore Culture Wave Media, and uh, be sure to share, like, subscribe, um, and thank you guys all so much. Just signing off. I am Darian Scalamoni. I am.